Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show, here on True North, Tuesday, June 21st, 2022, just after 4 o'clock Eastern Time, 2 o'clock Mountain Time, 5.30 in Newfoundland and Labrador. Hopefully you are having a wonderful start of the week so far. Uh, As you note uh, behind me, the Freedom Convoy, the inside story of three weeks that shook the world, is not so subtly placed in an effort to very overtly tell you to buy the book. And it seems to be working because a moment ago, our executive producer just sent me a message uh, demanding to know where his book is. Well, it's right behind me and it can be yours for the low price of $21.99 there, unnamed executive producer. Thank you very much for your support. And to all of you who have sent me very kind messages letting me know you've pre-ordered the book, in some cases multiple copies, what I tell people is uh, buy one for you and one for Justin Trudeau and I'll, I'll happily sign both of them for you and you can mail those all the way over to, it's not even called Langevin Block. I forget what they've renamed it to. It's like they, they've renamed it to this really boring I think the office of the Prime Minister. So it's now no longer the Prime Minister's office in Langevin Block. It's the Prime Minister's office in the office of the Prime Minister or something unoriginal like that. Uh, This is like a tangent of tangents, a tangent on a tangent. So uh, thank you very much for your patience. We're going to be speaking later on about this this new single-use plastics ban that the Liberals are reviving, which is a great way to just tell people that uh, you are doing something when you're not doing anything. So they don't want anyone to look at all the other things we're going to be talking about. So they say, hey, think of the baby turtles. Think of the baby turtles. Well, I am thinking of the baby turtles, and I'm also thinking of how this single-use plastic thing will only inconvenience Canadians and be very harmful to Canadian industry. So we will talk about that later on in the show. And also, I'm not going to do too much on it today because I haven't had a chance to go through all the documents. But this story that just broke this afternoon from the Halifax Examiner, a story showing how the RCMP commissioner, Brenda Lucky was running interference, political interference, for Justin Trudeau and for Bill Blair after the Nova, uh, the Nova Scotia massacre a couple of years back in Porta Peak to make it easier for them to ram their gun control measures through. This is not the role of the RCMP. It has shades of SNC-Lavalin all over again. I, I will mention it later on in the show in a bit more detail, but I, I'm going to reserve a, a full episode for that later on in the week or, or most of the episodes. So uh, if I'm not talking about it today in great depth, that's why, because I haven't had a chance to read all of the source documents. But I do want to talk about another burning issue here first, which is Bill C-11. Now, I try not to bog people down too much in the the legislative numbers because these bill numbers do change in the previous parliament to now. This was formerly C-10. It's been brought back as C-11. It's the bill that will monumentally change internet regulations in this country. And by change, I mean vastly expand the federal government's regulatory authority over the internet. And by the internet, I'm talking about things that people post on social media, certainly the work that independent media outlets like True North are doing and as much as the government says no 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 it's not about censorship it's just we're modernizing that's what they say we're modernizing the regulations well they can call it whatever they want. They can put the lipstick on the pig as much as they want. The reality is they're making it so that the CRTC is the gatekeeper on your speech and my speech 
on the internet. And even if they don't intend to use this power for evil, they're giving themselves power over internet content. And it's not conspiratorial to point that out. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation published a report this week on C11, a fatally flawed gateway to government censorship. Jay Goldberg of CTF is, CTF is the lead author on it, but I was also pleased to see they collaborated with Michael Geist, who's been sounding the alarm about C11 back when it was C10, even before the Conservatives started opposing the government on this. He's the reason I think anyone knows about this bill, quite frankly. Uh, but it's great to, to have Michael Geist involved in this and, and great to have Jay Goldberg on the show now. Jay, thanks for coming on today. Good to talk to you. So let's start with the why you're doing this first. I, I don't disagree at all with the premise. I don't disagree with your findings. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation, though a lot of people think is out there for balanced budgets and low taxes. Why is sounding the alarm about government censorship a priority for the CTF? Well, it's at the core of our mandate because our priorities are lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. Now, it definitely falls under number three. As you said, if we are going to hand over to the government and bureaucrats the power to filter what we see online and deprioritize things that the government may not like, and again, you said it properly, they're saying they may not use it now, but it's definitely there to be used in the future. It's a major accountability concern, and that's why we're all over this issue. Just looking at it here, let's set the stage for what you're really delving into. Is your issue the content of the legislation, specific provisions in it, or is your issue the existence of the legislation at all? Do you think it's just an unnecessary bill in the first place? It's absolutely unnecessary. And it's because, as we say in the report, Canadian content is thriving like never before. Netflix has hundreds of millions of dollars invested in CanCon. And uh, we had $6 billion of foreign investment in Canadian film and television in 2020, the first year of the pandemic. That was a record. So the government's out there claiming this is for Canadian content. Well, Canadian content is thriving. So clearly that's just a red herring. What they're trying to do is regulate free speech and free expression. That's why we're so concerned. And so the whole bill needs to be scrapped. Let's talk about this Canadian content sell aspect here, because this is a relatively new talking point that the government wasn't pushing as much when they were advancing this under its former iteration, C10, in the last parliament, because back then they were talking about modernization. We're just updating the broadcast requirements. We're updating the CRTC rules. They were just trying to position it as being this natural evolution of the regulatory framework in Canada surrounding broadcasters, namely TV and radio. They do seem to be focusing a lot on this Canadian content angle now. And, and maybe it's just me. Perhaps they've done polling on this and realized that, yeah, you know, Gladys in Sarnia, Ontario, and Jean-Pierre in Montreal love Canadian content, so that's the way they can shoehorn this thing in. But in doing so, what they're effectively saying, and, and JJ McCullough ha has made this point, who's a YouTube streamer in Canada, is that, you know, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, they need to showcase Canadian content more. Just as your television and your radio has to showcase Canadian content, so does your internet uh, platform, service, streaming platform, whatever you want to call it. And the whole point of the internet is that everything is at your fingertips already. Absolutely. That's the, the whole, whole thing about the internet. That's why we have the internet. And I think actually Sean Spear had a really good column where he was pointing out that the Chrétien government, the last time these things were looked at, explicitly decided not to regulate the Internet because the Internet was seen as something different. 
And this is very different than TV and radio because as you say, people have this stuff at their fingertips and if they want to find Canadian content, they can find it online anytime. It's on Netflix, it's on streaming services. It's very easy to find. So again, that's why this was kept separate in the 90s. And so the government's rationale for trying to do this, it just doesn't make any sense. One of the things, I mean, again, this may work against the overarching point here because I am saying and you're saying that Canadian content is already ubiquitous and available. One of the great things I I have enjoyed about Netflix and to a lesser extent Prime Video is is that you get a window into other countries' content. You can log on and I've found shows from Spain and Denmark, notably, that I've absolutely loved that I might not find under C11 if all of a sudden I have to scroll past all the Canadian stuff that the government has made Netflix put on the homepage and and I don't see it, especially if other countries were to follow suit. And, And that's the thing, like we as Canadians would lose out if uh, Denmark had this its own version of this and, you know, they had to promote Danish content to Danes and Spanish content to Spaniards and Canadian content to Canadians. And we lose what we're supposed to embrace about Canada, which is all of these different cultural influences that we have access to. Absolutely. And I've actually been on a number of radio stations where some sometimes they are broadcasting in English, other times Uh, other languages, communities all across Canada that are waking up to these concerns. Whether they want to watch shows that are from India or China or South Korea, there are ethnic communities here in Canada that love foreign content. And we are supposed to be a multicultural country that according to Justin Trudeau, you know, that's what we are and that's what we embrace. Well, the reality is Bill C-11 would make that content less accessible. Uh, That's a huge concern. But also, as you said, other countries could retaliate they can promote their own content. But even more than that, if there are certain companies that are operating abroad and they're in charge of uh, content that's been sent in from abroad to Canada, if these companies don't want to re- deal with all of these regulations that the CRTC can be putting in, they can simply block Canada as a market altogether. So some foreign content could very well just be blocked. We may not be able to see it in Canada because these providers don't want to jump through all the hoops that the CRTC is setting up for them. We're obviously talking about this in the context of entertainment content. I want to turn to news and commentary for a moment, because this has been one of the big... I'd say inconsistencies in the government's messaging on this. In the previous parliament, uh, Stephen Gilbo at, at one point said, no, 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 news will be exempt from this. So all the media got off his back about it because, okay, we're safe. We don't need to care about this. But the thing about that that I would point out as an independent journalist who, who works outside of one of these uh, mainstream media environments is that you know the government has already said that it does not view True North Uh, as one example, as a journalism outlet. That's the Liberal government's position. Okay, fine. So what are we then? Are, Are they going to force Canadians to watch us? I mean, okay, there's a part of me that might enjoy that in principle, but but or I might enjoy it in practice, but not in principle. Uh, or are they going to all of a sudden say, oh, no, 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 you guys don't count. You're off the homepage. Because all of a sudden, government's going to have to start making judgments about which Canadian content qualifies uh, as being sufficiently Canadian to force in front of people. And, and you get into this point, whether it's targeted politically or not, where government or some government agency or some tech company deputized by government is having to choose which content Canadians should see and which stuff they shouldn't see. That's exactly right. And I think not enough of the conversation is in that place. I think that people are just saying on the government side, well, we need to promote Canadian content and 
that's necessarily a good thing, but there's actually no clear definition of what Canadian content is. And if you look at what the CRTC is doing, they have a film, there's a film out there called Gotta Love Trump. It's a biopic of the Trump presidency, Trump's life. It's considered Canadian content by the CRTC because there was an American producer. You've got The Handmaid's Tale, which was a TV series that was made based on uh, the book uh, by the famous, very famous Canadian author, Margaret Atwood. Well, that's not considered Canadian content because the producer was in the United States. So already these people don't know what they're doing in terms of you know, figuring out what's CanCon. And so we're going to give them 10 times the amount of power, if not more, and then figure it out and allow this to filter into news and other things. So it's just very, very dangerous. This is not something the government should be deciding upon. And the minister has also said, uh, Pablo Rodriguez has come out and said, we're not actually going to tell the CRTC what the regulations should be or how they should define Canadian content until this is actually passed into law and signed by the governor general. That is completely backwards legislation. That is like going to a used car dealership, buying the car, and then looking at the inside of it afterwards. It's completely flawed, but that's what they're trying to push on Canadians. Yeah, I mean, for those who have the good fortune to not have immersed themselves in this uh, CRTC regulatory environment over the years, the way they've governed music is they have this system called MAPL, M-A-P-L. And in order for it to be Canadian content, you have to check off two of the four boxes. And, and M, I'm just pulling it up here to make sure I don't get it wrong. M is music. So the music has to be composed by a Canadian. A, the artist, the music has to be performed by a Canadian. Uh, P, performance, the musical selection was performed or recorded in Canada. And L, the lyrics are written by a Canadian. So if the music and lyrics are written by a Canadian, but it's performed by a Norwegian in New New Zealand, that's Canadian content. Uh, conversely, if uh, someone records it in Canada, but they didn't write the music, the lyrics, and they're not Canadian, it's not Canadian content. So uh, you have all of this. And I remember years ago, Heart, uh, the American band from Washington was Canadian content because of just the, this, even though they were not Canadian and they got a lot of airplay in Canada for that. So it, it forces all of these weird rules and guidelines. But again, I think it's we can talk about the desires and the goals and all of that. But fundamentally, it's does the government have the right to curate what we see online? And that that really is, in my view, and you may be, uh, disagree with this, Jay, but that's like the fundamental question here. That is the fundamental question. The internet was created so that we can see everything at our fingertips. And the government also keeps trying to roll out this argument that, well, we have to protect Canadians online. So whether you're talking about child pornography or you're talking about hate speech, this is all regulated through the Ministry of Justice. This is part of the criminal code. If that's what their concern is, regulating dangerous things online, such as those, you can look at strengthening the criminal code. Other than that, there should be absolutely no reason why the government is filtering what we can see and share online. And in this bill, they are handing the CRTC the power to do exactly that. And this should also affect, and people should realize, it affects individuals. Because the head of the CRTC came and testified. He said, user-generated content is on the table. We will have the power to regulate that. So as you said, that's YouTube videos, that's TikTok. That's not just, you know, what's on Netflix. This is very personal and it will get down to the lives of every Canadian and it will affect you individually. Is your fear that this will be used to target political speech or do you think that is, is taking the conspiratorial thinking a, a step too far? 
Well, for right now, the government says they're going to do it based on whether or not they think the content is Canadian. As we've said, it's a very flawed process on figuring out what's Canadian and it'd be very easy for the government to decide that certain things on certain networks they don't think should be considered Canadian. But it also opens the door to you know, future decisions. You're strengthening the CRTC. You're giving them the capacity to filter what we see online. If they have the capacity to do it for one reason, which is Canadianness, if two or three years from now they come out, and I'm sure you heard Minister Mendicino talk about the need to maintain social cohesion in Canada, if a year or two from now they decide, well, that should also be our goal, and they give that mandate to the CRTC, then absolutely we should be concerned. So they're laying the groundwork for that. Whether or not they do that today is a, is a question. But whether or not they have the capacity to do that is not a question. Under this bill, they will have the capacity to do exactly that. The report is over at taxpayer.com, written by Jay Goldberg of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Bill C-11, a fatally flawed gateway to government censorship. Jay, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. You know, one thing I will point out here is that let's use the government's own motivations against them. There's nothing more Canadian than the Andrew Lawton show. I'm Canadian. I broadcast the show in Canada. I record it in front of a, a Canadian bought uh, studio equipment set. I have a mostly Canadian audience. True North is Canadian. We're, we're as Canadian as maple syrup, poutine, beavers, and hockey. So if they want to promote Canadian content, we have to demand demand that True North is up there on the front page. Now, I don't support that, but I will say that nothing would make the government move off of this quickly enough than having to promote Canadian independent media sources who are telling people why this stuff is so damaging and so dangerous. So that would be my, my little PSA here. Uh, you know, again, even if we could theoretically benefit from this, which I don't think we would, because government would draw this line and they'd be like, oh, no, we got we to draw around there. Yeah, we, we got to draw around True North and Rebel News and Post Millennial and Western Standard and, and all of that other stuff. But it points out the inconsistency here that promoting Canadian content is not what they're after. What they're after is fundamentally expanding the power of the state, the regulatory power of the government. And we see this happening time and time again in other areas. We're going to be talking about the plastics ban in just a couple of moments here. But I do want to spend a little bit of time between topics here talking about this story in the Halifax Examiner that I alluded to at the beginning here. And again, this is very new. I haven't read all the documents. I'm just going based off what's in front of me here. Um, but the, the thing is, I'm, I'm not surprised... I'm surprised things are as brazen as they are. The headline, RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky tried to jeopardize mass murder investigation to advance Trudeau's gun control efforts. So what happened here, according to the Halifax Examiner, is that ben Brenda Lucky, quote, made a promise to Bill Blair and Justin Trudeau's office to leverage the mass murders in Porta Peak, Nova Scotia to get their gun control ban passed. Remember, it was just weeks later that they introduced a couple of gun control measures, including the order in council banning the AR-15 and, and other similar firearms. And it was Lucky who pressured the Nova Scotia RCMP to release weapon details used by the killers to justify the government going after it when they normally don't release such details and they won't because they don't want to compromise the int information they have as part of the investigation. So what happened is the RCMP had found all of this 
and weren't saying things because they were going through it. And Brenda Lucky was telling them, no, 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 we have to do it. And there's one particular document. And again, I, I'm going to devote more time on this later in the week. But there's one particular document I saw here, which has the money quote that Brenda Lucky said that the Nova Scotia RCMP didn't understand that the directive was tied to, quote, pending gun control legislation that would make officers and public safer by or through this legislation. So directly tying orders she was giving to her subordinates for political gain for the Liberals. The RCMP commissioner, who the government says, oh, no, 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 they're independent. We don't direct them. We didn't tell them what to do in the convoy. We don't tell them what to do about this or that. They're independent. We couldn't order them even if we wanted to all of a sudden are releasing or holding back investigative details based on what's politically convenient for the government. I would encourage you to head on over to halifaxexaminer.ca after the show and, and read this for yourself. And like I mentioned, we're going to get to the bottom of this later this week. But I, I want to talk about if we're in a theme show this week and a theme show today about government regulating your lives. We talked about them regulating your internet. Let's talk about them regulating your beverages. The Liberals have come out this week with announcements of details about their ban on single-use plastics. It's not the first time they've come up with this. We We've known it was just around the corner, although interestingly enough, I didn't think they were going to do it so quickly because throughout COVID, single-use items were pretty much the saving grace of a lot of organizations, food service organizations, hospitals, because of cleanliness, sanitation, and hygiene rules. But by the end of 2025, the federal government will ban companies from importing or making plastic bags and takeout containers. They'll also go after most single-use plastic straws, stir sticks, and cutlery. The six-pack rings that hold cans and bottles together will get a little bit more time uh, in June 2024 will have their sale banned as well. So what we're having happen here by the end of next year is uh, some of the bans going in place and then adding more and more of them. But this is happening all within, within just a couple of years. So significant effect, not just to the manufacturers who produce these things in Canada, but all the businesses who rely on these things. And I, I think there's, there's two sides of this here. There, there's obviously the consumer aspect of this and also the producer aspect of this. So let's talk about both of those with Catherine Swift, who is the president of the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada. Catherine, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. My pleasure as always, Andrew. Now, just before we get into the nitty gritty of this, uh, some people are going to say, oh my goodness, what am I going to do without my water bottles? Well, Justin Trudeau has the answer. Oh, you mean the um, paper box uh, water thingies? Yeah, let, let, let's hear it in his words. Yeah, uh, we have uh, recently switched to drinking uh, water bottles out of uh, water out of uh, when we have water bottles uh, out of a plastic, uh, sorry, away from plastic towards uh, paper um, like drink box water bottles sort of things. <laughs> there we go. We, we've got options, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it, it, what this announcement is, is yet another virtue signaling, uh, you know, policy statement that will have virtually no impact on the environment. That's how it's couched, of course, is that it's a great environmental uh, uh, procedure. Um, but it, the funny thing is, Andrew, and there's funny in a sardonic sense, not a, not a hilarious sense, 
is that this seems to all have been driven by some little kid in grade school in the U.S. who did a project on that poor turtle that we saw that had a plastic straw in its nose. And of course, it was, it, it was about the issue, and it's a serious issue, of plastics in the oceans. The reality, however, is Canada contributes virtually zero of the plastics that are in the oceans. It comes from a handful of countries, the usual polluter, the, the usual polluter nations, the Chinas, the Indias, Africa, and so on. And, and it, it, again, this has been driven by a PR campaign, not a tangible need. And the plastics industry, just uh, to give them their due, has done immense work on recycling, there's very sophisticated technology that promotes the recycling of plastic products and the reuse of them as well. So it's, it's you know, the so-called circular economy kind of thing. And, and that, of course, isn't acknowledged at all. So it, it, you, the comment you made earlier, we, we just came through a pandemic where plastics basically saved us in the medical, of course, in the medical field, they're irreplaceable. Um, and in food, in food service, they're irreplaceable. So one of, I, I saw some quote from someone from the restaurant sector saying, How do, what am I going to do with soup? I can't put soup in a, in a paper box or whatever. And, and what strikes me, though, at a time when we have, we have a pretty dysfunctional economy in Canada right now. People can't get passports. We have an immigration system that has a waiting, a waiting list of over four years, for goodness sakes. We, you know, we have our airports are dysfunctional. We, we, we see governments in debt up to their eyeballs, notably the federal government. This is going to add to the dysfunction. The poor restaurant sector that got hammered during, during the pandemic is they're scrambling to get even plastic containers for takeout. And of course, takeout is still hugely popular. And, and part of that is a hangover from the pandemic. So um, this is simply going to add to inflation for consumers and add to more dysfunction in our economy for the very important food service sector. It, it really, it, it defies belief that at a time like this, there aren't bigger priorities for our government than some virtue signaling announcement about paper or plastic bags, takeout bags in grocery stores and plastic straws. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned ocean plastic, Catherine, and that's an important topic. I, I looked it up just before the show. There, there was a massive study a few years ago, and all of, of all the ocean plastic, 90% of it came from 10 rivers, eight of them in Asia, two of them in Africa. So not one of them in Europe, not one of them in North America, even South America, uh, or Oceania. There, it was 90% of the ocean plastic just from those rivers alone, and others are, are coming from, again, I mean, I went to Thailand a few years ago. You look out in the water, abandoned fishing equipment, people dumping garbage. It, it's not coming from Canadian, American, European industry. And then we, we also look at cost here. So I, I've been to restaurants uh, that have invested in biodegradable food packaging materials that look and feel like plastic, but they're actually made of plant starch and, and stuff like that. And you think, okay, that's a great idea. Their customers want it and they'll pay a premium for that. But you look at the cost of those things. And, and some of these things are four to 40 times more than the plastic fork or the plastic container than to, to, to buy in. So that money has to come from somewhere. And like everything else is the business uh, that's serving food, absorbing the cost, or are they passing it on to their consumers and, and, and so on. And, and this is not just about flipping a switch and using some alternative that comes in that's just as available and just as affordable. It simply isn't the case. 
No, it's not. And and even if it were obtainable, that's the other that's the other problem. We know that we've got supply chain issues in every sector of the economy right now to varying degrees. And a lot of these alternatives to plastic packaging are not even available for any amount of money. No, and they're, they're specialized processes that are still being developed that not everyone is doing. Exactly. And of course, they're in great demand right now as well, as as the economy comes out of the pandemic. So, oh, yeah, there's all kinds of issues. But once again, though, this this government has had a track record of making the big grandiose announcement. Guibo, Environment Minister Guibo was on a beach in Quebec when he made this announcement. Well, that was no accident. He wanted to remind everybody about that turtle. (laughs) That's why he was on the beach. Uh, and and but there's no follow through. There's no sensible saying, OK, we have all these plastics that do perform an important role in our society. So what are we going to replace them with? Should we have some kind of a period of adjustment and so on? And as you noted off the top, and I don't think this was an accident, um, the, a, a lot of these measures are geared for late 2025 when, hey, coincidentally, the agreement between the NDP and the Liberals is expiring. And is this is this something that maybe the Liberals think, oh, we'll lay this little trap for a, a future potential Conservative government because they'll look like bad guys down the road if they try to reverse this policy. So there's this is pure politics. We all want to do something sensible for the environment, but let's do something that actually has a positive impact. Doesn't just let some minister stand up and flap his gums and and pretend to be doing something useful. I, I know your coalition works with a lot of manufacturers. It's in the name. And I should say, by the way, I, we were very privileged, uh, True North, to be honored at your most recent dinner uh, among independent journalists and, and media outlets in Canada. And I, I know I mentioned it on the show a few weeks back, but thank you again for that, Catherine. But I, I will say, like, are, are manufacturers in the plastic space able to pivot to industrial plastics and and move on from this? Or are there manufacturers that just focus on these sorts of consumer plastics whose production is basically being outlawed now? Well, both, actually, because there's some, and, and this is something that I think a lot of people don't understand, is that when you start to ban, and a ban is ludicrous in this case, but when you start to actually ban outright certain types of plastics, it does affect the manufacture of other types of plastics that are, that I think your average person would go, well, I can do without a grocery bag, but boy, that uh, hospital, you know, that, that, uh, that syringe they use, that disposable syringe that's made out of nice, clean, pristine plastic, I can't do without that. It also affects those other plastic products because they are manufactured by some of the same companies. But there are also some manufacturers who only uh, only produce some of these limited products. I think, too, there's been quite a lot of investment in recyclable, uh, decomposable plastic products. So plastic bags are a good example. They are somewhat more expensive, but there's been a lot of progress made. What happens to those? Are they suddenly, you know, are they suddenly not allowed anymore either, even though there's a lot of science that's gotten into them to, to ensure that they are able to be composted? So there's there's so many aspects to this. It's a simplistic announcement that won't accomplish what it's supposedly going to accomplish. But again, you've got a nice flamboyant announcement by the minister and some people that don't know the all the nuances of the issue are going to think it's actually effective. I, I, I paper straws, I think, are are one of the most absurd creations 
uh, known to man because they, they don't work. I mean, anyone who's ever used a paper straw, if you nurse your drink for more than 10 minutes, your paper straw will disintegrate in real time and, and cease to be of, of value to you. Uh, which, But I think there's something to that because it shows the shortcomings of what on the surface might seem like it's a workable idea, but in practice, I, like you mentioned earlier, you can't put soup in a paper bowl. You can't, I mean, maybe everyone will have to do the, what Tim Hortons tried to do years ago and serve them in, in the bread bowls, which are, you know, soggy by the end of it, but at least, uh, you know, they don't just melt away like the paper does. But it sounds good on the surface, and there's no thought as to the application in there. And that's, I, th I think, the big problem here is that all of a sudden the government's just signing this fiat that will fall on everyone else to figure out, and it's not going to work. No, and, and you're absolutely right. There's some quite unintended consequences. I think it was Starbucks that to eliminate some plastic... Uh, in, a, in a lid design they had, they came up with some cup that kind of had almost like a sippy cup. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, the Starbucks sippy cup. It makes you feel like you're four it drinking actually your was ice latte. Worse yeah. for the environment than the original cup was. So, yeah, it when you don't think through policies, when, when you just want that big PR splash and you don't really worry about how it's going to be implemented or what the true impacts are going to be after the fact, these are the kind of weird uh, weird outcomes that you get. And I'm gar I'll guarantee you this policy is going to have a whole bunch of them. Uh, there's, a, there's many, many better ways to go about uh, sensible environmental policy. And sadly, this isn't one of them. One thing that struck me, uh, and I don't know when it was, within the last year or two, McDonald's decided they would start doing the paper straw thing nationally in Canada. And, and McDonald's is like up there with Walmart as far as just being one of the most hated corporations in the world. So when McDonald's sold out to big paper straw, I was like, they're never going to love you. Like the people that hate you are never going to love you. But you know what? If their consumers wanted it, their consumers wanted it. There was something that struck me about that. A lot of these companies have flipped over to these things without government intervention at all. Now, maybe it's because they just saw the writing on the wall and wanted to be prepared before the regulation happens, or maybe it's because they feel that there is a value to their business in doing it. But if it is the latter, and I think it is, because I, again, I've been to small own, uh, independent restaurants that have uh, done that, you know, sort of alternative packaging and plant-based cutlery thing before, and, and they do that because their consumers want that. It strikes me that even if this is the way things are headed, society will move business there in a much more realistic time frame than regulation will. Oh, yeah, and probably with better outcomes as well, because you'll leave it up to businesses to do the sort of sensible things that are actually doable and affordable, because ultimately, yeah, consumers are going to pay for all of this one way or the other. And, and, and we already have enough inflationary pressure right now. Goodness knows we don't need any more. But it's kind of it's kind of like what I said at the outset. You know, you don't you have these policies that are not me they're not measured. That's the other thing. You've got to measure them. You've got to, and, and societal impacts, when you look at things like smoking in society, they showed that societal viewpoints had a lot more impact on people quitting smoking than any kind of regulation or diktats from, from any government or stupid warnings. Of course, they're now increasing our warnings apparently on every single cigarette, so I hear. Uh, and no, it's changing views in society. And there's a lot of things that do feed into that, of course, that, that do change people's views. But I mean, I've always been a stickler for measurement. If you want to announce a policy you say is going to accomplish X, whatever that may be, then let's measure it a couple, three, four, five years from now. Government never does that. And they never do it for a reason. 
because they know their policies are not accomplishing the goals they claim they are. Yeah, you mentioned the cigarette thing. The government wants to know it's not enough now to put the a health warning on the box. They want to print it like on the cigarette itself. So you can't like take an individual cigarette without seeing this, you know, this thing is going to kill you. And then I also saw last week that Health Canada wants to slap warning labels on ground beef and ground pork because they're not whole products. So they want to put health warnings on that. So anytime you go and get some ground beef to, I don't know, make meatballs or spaghetti sauce or your own hamburger patties, you're going to get the government screaming at you that this is going to kill you. And I, I think we're probably there near there with plastic like where they're just going to put like you know they're going to like etch some little warning on the plastic spoon so that just as you're bringing it up to your mouth you can get a glimmer through your minestrone soup there that you know this is going to kill a baby turtle and then you just put it down and uh use your hands i mean this is what we're all headed towards yeah, I, fear, well, I, I gotta figure you know the health canada bureaucrats badly botched any pandemic management they screwed that up royally uh, I, they got to have way too much time on their hands. They're not doing the jobs they should do, uh, but why they're getting into such dumb things as labeling cigarettes, ca causing, uh, saying ground beef, that, you know, label, you have to put it on the cover of a, a ground beef package that it's, uh, it could be harmful to your health at a time when ground beef is probably one of the more affordable meat products that most families can, yeah. can manage to buy these days. Uh, also, it is a, it is a industry based in Alberta. And let's not forget that Alberta doesn't vote liberal and therefore richly deserves to be punished at every turn. So that's another that's another factor that's attached to that, too. But once again, yeah, yeah you, you know, you raise an important point there. And, and the more I see this, like I, I filed just on a completely unrelated note, I filed over two years ago an access to information request with Health Canada about something that I've now forgotten about. And they said, oh, no, 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 our Health Canada staff are too busy to process this with the COVID management. And I'm thinking, well, you're, you're having enough time to start talking about warning labels on ground beef. So maybe uh, maybe the pandemic truly is over. Uh, Catherine Swift joining me on the line, who is the fantastic president of the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada. Catherine, thanks so much for your time as always. Thank you, Andrew. Always a pleasure, Andrew. All right, that was Catherine Swift. And just before we wrap things out here, I, I've had people messaging me throughout the show. I haven't read them all uh, saying, what am I going to do? I don't know how I'm going to live without plastics. Uh, again, I've given you the answer. I will give you the answer again, but all is not lost. We've got alternatives. Yeah, uh, we have uh, recently switched to drinking uh, water bottles out of uh, water out of uh, when we have water bottles uh, out of a uh, plastic. Uh, sorry, away from plastic towards uh, paper, um, like drink box water bottles, sort of things. See, we laughed at the time, but that's all we're going to get in the next little while is drink water, paper box, bottle water, bottle, 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 drink box, things, things. So that's what we're, <laughs> that's the only thing that will be legal in Canada by 2025. Got to end it there. My thanks to all of you for tuning in to the Andrew Lawton Show. A reminder, the book comes out on Friday, The Freedom Convoy, the inside story of three weeks that shook the world. We've been an Amazon bestseller since we announced it, although we, we've gone up and down in the ratings. So if you haven't pre-ordered your copy yet do head on over there and, and see if we can get back up to uh, uh where we were and perhaps even crack number one we, we haven't gone higher than number two yet so i uh, hope you do that and and if you get the book on friday let me know what you think about it unless you didn't like it then don't let me know but uh i hope you like it uh with that we'll uh, bid you adieu and talk to you later this week folks the andrew lawton show on true north thank you god bless and good day to you all thanks for listening to the andrew lawton show Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.